This is episode 83 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Safe and Sound on the Home Front and How to Infuse Herbs in Oil, Water, Vinegar, Alcohol, or Honey. And because today is Wednesday, we have an interview with Becca Moore of Country Acres Homestead. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have recently been posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, let's go ahead and get started. This this first article comes to us from PreparednessMama.com. Uh, actually, we're going to be featuring all women today. So this is like the all women podcast here. Uh, so that's the theme for today. <laughs> uh, so this, again, comes to us from preparednessmama.com. And uh, again, the title is Safe and Sound on the Home Front. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, defense or, or what you can do to uh, make your home uh, not so appealing for thieves or robbers so that they would wind up going to the next the next home or to an easier target. So uh, this is definitely, I think, in our day and age where we are, uh, something that everyone needs to consider. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Crime prevention through environmental design. While not a cure-all, these principles are simple guidelines for decreasing the likelihood of a criminal will find your home inviting. Last month, Portland was pounded by some fantastic storms. We went through power outages, tree branches down everywhere, lots of rain and wind, and a little flooding as the icing on the cake. My girls and I had unknowingly planned a weekend girl getaway the day of the storm. We were lucky our chosen restaurant had power for dinner. Our waitress had been without power since 8 a.m. Our hotel down the street, not so much. We enjoyed our stay just the same and found a powered dollar store so we could purchase flashlights to light our night. The next morning there was still no power, but we were in good spirits. There's that, that is until I need to I needed to fill up my car on the way home. My lovely old suburban, the Beast, has a broken gas gauge, so I go off mileage to determine when to fill up. Sometimes you just have to make do. We got quite the surprise when my Suburban proved to need more gas than I've ever had to put in as long as I've owned it. It was almost empty. The realization and violation hit us hard. A gas thief was taking advantage of my truck. That was an expensive lesson to learn. 30 gallons of gas had been siphoned out of my beast. I wasn't sure where it had occurred until the next morning at home when I realized that my gas cap wasn't locked on even after buying a locking gas cap. They managed to get through. The nerve. We decided it was time to upgrade our home exterior with some extra security and theft deterrence. Since the state of the world has been heading this direction as a whole, I hope this saves you from current or future crimes as well. Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design A few years ago, I took a fantastic class of CPTED, Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design, taught by a local county sheriff. Now that I've discovered the problem, this was my first place to turn for what to do for our own thieves. Although most of the things we learned is a natural part of how we landscaped in our new home, there were still a few pieces we'd procrastinated in finishing. A lot of these are easy DIY items, but some may require a professional or at least some upper-level skill that I don't have. These principles apply to businesses as well as homes, so be vigilant at both. 
The four principles of CPTED are natural surveillance. Criminals can be easily spotted or observed on the property. Access control. Visible boundaries and barriers to entrance for home and property access. Territorial reinforcement. It appears to be owned, lived in, and cared for. And target hardening. Reducing opportunities for crime and tightening security. Think like a criminal for a second. Which home would you pick? I'm sorry, this is natural surveillance. Think like a criminal for a second. Which home would you pick? The clean, open yard with visible windows and doors facing the street and lots of lighting? Or the house with shrubs halfway up the windows and no outdoor lights? The door has a tree blocking the view from the street. The correct answer is B, of course. The house has lots of places to hide, plenty of options for sneaking around the entrance without anyone noticing. Is your home A or B? Stand across the street from your home and look closely. Can you see all your windows in, the, in their entirety? Can you see your doors from any angle? Are there things blocking the view of gates, sheds, and garages? The goal here is to make getting close to your home and being hidden from view very difficult. Natural surveillance's dues. Install motion sensor outdoor lights. That, this was what stopped my thief whatever, wherever access may be probable. Um, outdoor path lighting. Uh, although my neighborhood has a history of those being stolen, or consider painting paving stones with glow-in-the-dark paint. Prune trees with four to six feet of clearance. I'm assuming it's feet. It doesn't say. Uh, prune trees with four to six feet of clearance underneath. Use plants with thorns under windows. Prune shrubs to be within 18 to 24 inches under windows and around yards. Natural surveillances don'ts. Block doors or windows visibly with shrubs or trees. Have large hedges as a barrier around the front of your home or tall fences that block the full view. Leave garage doors or windows open at night and allow junk, clutter, or cars to block visibility to home or entrances. You are the criminal again. Which house would you pick? One with a broken fence. Or this is access control, sorry. Uh... <laughs> I guess I'm missing the titles there. Sorry. Uh, access control. You are the criminal again. Which house would you pick? One with a broken fence, no gates, open garage door, no deadbolt. A house or two, a house with a small chain link fence around front yard, uh, locked gate, locked and closed doors, obvious deadbolts, so solid core exterior doors. The correct answer is A, of course. This house has lots of easy access points and escape routes. The inattention to the owner's surroundings means neighbors probably aren't watching their houses too closely either, as it may be an eyesore. It's a perfect target. Is your house A or B? The goal is to limit accessibility and escape options and make gaining entrance more work than it's worth. Access control dues. Plant hostile plants like roses, holly, Oregon grapes, and other thorny plants in flower beds that blocks exit and invite evidence. Um, add retaining walls and landscaping that would be obstacles but not hiding places. Use see-through fences, tall or small, as long as it still allows good visibility to the yard and home. Solid core 
core doors, deadbolts, and interior latches are the best. Be sure interior latches are easily undone by all family members for fire safety, except small children bent on escape. Make sure there are locks and latches on all gates. Access control don'ts. Use heavy window grates. They block visibility into the home and can be a safety hazard, but there may be areas where they are appropriate. If so, regularly check to ensure they can be used quickly and efficiently opened in case of fire. Leave fences and gates broken. Fix quickly. Keep doors, windows, and gates opened or unlocked even when home. So those were access control don'ts. Territorial reinforcements. Put your criminal hat on. Which house would you choose? A yard that is covered in weeds and a home that is in need of upkeep and repairs. The garage is cluttered and unkept. The front porch even more so. Or the yard is organized, well maintained, and the home is in good order. Clutter is at a minimum and the paths and borders are clearly defined. The answer is A, of course. This principle is based on psychology. If it looks cared for, it is cared for, and someone is likely to defend it. Is your house A or B? The goal is to create a visual message that this is a private property, not a public place, and that the owner will defend the property. Ter territorial reinforcement do's. I'm going to start reading do and don't in front of it. Do uh, make sure that the fences and planting borders make a visual property line. Do make sure that there are no trespassing signs, but don't be ostentatious. Do make sure that everything is in good repair. Territorial reinforcements don't. Don't leave clutter and junk strung around the yard and house. And don't neglect yard work for extended periods of time. Target hardening. Be the master criminal again. Which house would you choose? There is only one deadbolt on the door and no locks on the windows. There is only one small light above the front door. And there is a hidden key in a fake stone by the door. Or two, all window locks in place and there is a dowel and sliding glass door. The home has a keypad and key entrance lock plus deadbolt, motion sensor lighting all on all sides of the home. The correct answer is A, of course. Although measures were made to control access, they were mediocre at best. Which house is yours, A or B? Beefing up security is the best way to reduce criminal opportunities. A well-lit home also helps emergency responders find you as well. Target hardening dues. Do make sure that you add extra security features like locks and garage door openers, finger scanners, and key codes. Do make sure the deadbolt should throw one and one and a half, one and one half or longer and be reinforced on both sides. Do make sure that you have more than one dead one deadbolt won't hurt. Do make sure that wooden dowel in a sliding glass door should be a half inch thick or more and have a half inch gap or less. Do make sure that older windows are easier or know that, sorry, know that older windows are easier to open, consider replacing them. Add locks and latches on criminals uh, add locks and latches. Criminals usually avoid breaking glass. Add interior latches on windows and doors that limit space if they are open. Use floodlights with motion sensors and daylight solar sensors. Make sure your lights are on timers, both exterior and interior. Consider up lighting to shadows or at the top rather than at the bottom where they can hide someone. 
and create an even flow of light outside to prevent shadows to hide in. Target hardening don'ts. Uh, don't forget to add protection to your back door and the door in your garage. Don't forget your garage doors and all lower level windows, even in the backyard. And don't, don't use hide-a-keys. Instead, leave a key with a trusted neighbor. Please note, I'm not claiming that you will never fall victim to a crime. If you do a few of or even all of these tips, these principles are simply guidelines for decreasing the likelihood a criminal will find your home inviting. These are also great guidelines for securing your home after a disaster to help deter looting, vandalism, and other such crimes. But that's more for another day. How did we deter our thief? After two instances of siphon gas tanks, the motion sensors are what finally did the job. While they are still at large in the community, I guess they felt too exposed under our 100 watt of, of scrutiny and have moved on to other darker neighborhoods. What environmental design techniques will you implement to help secure your home? Okay, so uh, there's a lot of links, a lot of affiliate links going to Amazon when she's talking about a, a specific item. Um, we have those motion sensor lights in the front. They've been there since uh, since we've moved in here, uh, and uh, I'm I'm glad we have them. Um, I mean, I don't have you know we don't have very fancy cars, and definitely uh, don't have real big expensive rims uh, on my truck. I just have the stock rims. But one of the things that's, that's been happening, and it's like it's an epidemic. Uh, I'm a member of uh, the like the community Facebook, uh, like, kind of like. A, I don't know. They, they they talk about all the crime, or or they uh, they post all the crime and all the things, or it's that kind of like a neighborhood watch. I've talked about it before here, but uh, I mean, you find out information there faster than anywhere. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But uh, no doubt, I mean, someone every at least once a week for a while there it seemed like it was almost every day, and you were like, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? And these guys are. They're such idiots because some guy is going to meet them out there with a gun. They're going to lose their life, you know, because they keep ripping off uh, rims. You know, it just it's just really dumb. But um, for a while there, it was happening every day. I, it's gone down uh, a lot less now, but at least at least once a week um, there for for a long long time. And uh, I haven't read too much recently. Maybe they caught the guys. Uh, maybe you know maybe they finally did get them but um, you know that's one thing that you can do is kind of if if your neighborhood has one of those um, so that you can stay up to date on what's going on uh, but you know that's one thing that you know I always did I always made sure that the lights outside we had lights that were working uh, the motion sensor lights you know worked I did buy a camera uh, a wireless camera um, that I uh, a friend of mine had one, so I came home and bought one and set it up and was ready to mount it out there. It's just got to drill some holes and stuff uh, that I haven't done yet. But uh, you know, that's they're not hard to do anymore. I mean, they're they're really easy. the 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 biggest thing is, like I said, is drilling the holes, like you know, in the garage door, or wherever to where, um, or above the garage door, so where you can you know screw it in. But uh, it's they're pretty awesome. They're pretty advanced to where they will let you know if there's movement outside, and you can set the uh, you can set how uh, the sensitivity of it. 
uh, it, it will record it for you. And uh, there, there are some of those that are out there that you pay a fee and you can do that. But for the most, you don't have to. I mean, you just you need to have a little bit of technology skill to be able to do it. But if you've set up like home wireless routers and things like that, uh, or you you know even connecting, uh, I mean, they they're, the instructions are pretty easy. You're just connecting it uh, to your wireless. Uh, you, you can easily do it. Again, the the thing is going to be, you know, actually, you know, installing it on your home. Where are you going to do that? Drilling through, you know, the wall or whatever to uh, to run the electrical through. But uh, what you want to do is you want to make sure you you create layers. You know, every everything is a layer uh, in your home to where even having a dog. Having a dog that actually bark, barks when someone is at the front door or even when there's noise in the front yard where at least, you know, their ears perk up and they start moving towards the door. I mean, that's that's a layer. Having a dog that a big dog that is barking when they hear anything outside, that's another layer, right? Having lights, having, uh, you know, a, a camera, even having, a, you know, they make the fake cameras. I don't know, you know, that might be something you might be you might want to be interested in. Um, my dad had one in, at one of his uh, businesses uh, when I was younger and um, it had a little nine volt battery in there. So it had a little red light that that uh, that would, you know, every so often it would go off. So it made it seem like it was actually recording. Uh, but, uh, you know, you could get one of those and put it out there and that would be a deterrent. Right. Uh, someone would know if they were actually being uh, videoed or not. But uh, so, you know, a lot of things that you can do. And, uh, you know, I think the advice of go across the street at night and take a look at your home and see if there's any shadows and things like that. And maybe there's some things that you want to take care of. Um, that's always important. Definitely looking at your house at night. Hey, if you're uh, I don't I don't know I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Maybe there's uh, I was remembering hearing a family member talk about uh, moving into a, a specific apartment. Um, you know, when you are moving into a neighborhood, when you're moving into an apartment, you know, if you're an apartment prepper, whatever, you you go look at it during the day and you kind of scope it out and you do all that kind of stuff. But you also want to go at night. So you want to drive out there, you know, at different times of the day, you know, maybe like 5.30, 6 o'clock, like when you would be coming home from work and just kind of drive around the neighborhood, drive around the apartment. What's it like? Are there people out? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Then going maybe like around 10, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night and driving it if you can and, and seeing what it's like there. Are people outside? Are there, you know, suspicious people out there? Um, you know, that's always a good thing to do when you are, when you're looking to move. And that's, you know, mostly renters and, and people going into apartment complexes. But even if you're buying, uh, you know, that's always a good thing to do is something that, you know, that we have done. All right. So, uh, moving on, um, it's Wednesday, and so on Wednesdays we try to have an interview. We don't always have interviews, but uh, I do have one today with Becca Moore of Country Acres Homestead. Uh, she is uh, she does provide you know articles that are out there. We have we did read her article just recently, uh, I believe last last week, uh, episode eighty, if I'm not mistaken, uh, about just the simplicity in, in living in simplicity. 
So uh, I'm kind of interested in getting into this interview and seeing what she has to say. Uh, just recently, her and her husband and her big family moved to a homestead. And uh, they actually bought property. And they're, you know, if you go to, over to her website, you can see where they've been slowly working on it and, and things like that. And she will tell you that, uh, you know, that it hasn't been easy. I think that was part of the, the article that we wrote, that there are some things... Uh, uh, when you when you move into a homestead, you know it's not all sit on the porch and drink tea and and you know watch the you know, the sunset. Um, there's there's been a lot of work and there are some unexpected things that they have experienced. So you can go back and find that one again. I believe that was episode 80. Uh, but um, she has this interview here and she has a book out a uh, a, a new book and that she's going to talk a little bit about. So let's go ahead and get into this interview. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. Hi, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. My husband and I have been married for 18 years and have seven children together. We live in the Midwest where we own our 15-acre homestead. We prepare by raising animals, growing our own food, and preserving and storing what we grow. We, also, we are also learning about the medicinal uses of herbs and essential oils. We began preparing for life's emergencies about 15 years ago. What are your main preparedness concerns? What are you prepping for? Life is filled with moments of blessings, but we are also faced with many trials. By being prepared for both small and large-scale disasters, we can at least try to avoid some of the hardships that come with them. The world is in turmoil right now. We must do all we can to be prepared for an economic collapse, civil unrest, or quite possibly another world war. We try to do that here on the homestead as organically and self-sufficiently as possible. Has your preparedness changed over the years and why? Very much so. When we were younger, we didn't worry about having enough food in the pantry if a disaster would ever strike. But life has a way of showing you what you need to see. And after 9-11 and the job market fell out, we learned quickly that we needed to make some changes. We started with our food supply and have grown from there. So tell us about your book. What is it about and why did you decide to write it? Organize Your Home on the Homestead is a short ebook with a bunch of encouragement and 10 plus printable worksheets to help those who are struggling to get their homes organized. Don't let the term homestead discourage you, though. Homesteading is not just a term used for those who own land, livestock, or grow a huge garden. Homesteading is a mindset and a way of life, and we really feel this ebook will be helpful for anyone seeking to create a relaxing and comforting home. What feedback have you received from your book that is the most surprising to you? Organize Your Home on the Homestead has done very well during its first week. We've heard from several bloggers who have received their copies and they all agree that it is a simple, no pressure workbook, workbook that helps them get done what needs to be done without feeling overwhelmed. What part of your book would you like to make sure that readers pay careful attention to? The worksheets are very helpful and we will be adding more in the future. Could you paste in a paragraph from your book that gives us a good feel for what readers will experience? Quote, these worksheets are not intended to make you feel less than and they aren't intended to make you feel as though you need to do it all or get it all done. These worksheets are just a tool that you can use to help organize the chaos. If at the end of the day not everything on your list is checked off, don't sweat it. There is always tomorrow. 
We really do have all the time in the world to get things done. We are never going to look back on our lives and think, man, do I wish I would have washed more dishes. But if we get caught up in all the work, we will look back on our lives and think, boy, I really do wish I would have enjoyed my family more. Quote. What else would you want preppers to know about your book? This ebook is not just for homesteaders. The printable master project list can help you organize the preparedness projects you are planning. There are printable freezers and pantry inventory sheets to help you get organized and know what you need to stock up on. There is also budgeting worksheets to help you keep track of your uh, prepping expenses. And the best part, for the month of June, it is just $5. Tell us about your website pod, or website. What is your main focus? Our hope is that those who visit our website will be encouraged to start their own self-sufficiency journey. Preparing for emergencies is really important, and we focus on helping those who want to prepare for life's emergencies do it self-sufficiently. Do you have any upcoming projects that listeners might be interested in? We have a few projects in the works, but we aren't quite ready to release them. Listeners can join our mailing list where they will receive all the latest news and updates. Will you give us two or three examples of your work that you would like to share with our listeners? We cover a few different topics on the blog, homesteading, self-sufficiency, and preparedness, to name just a few. Some of our more popular posts are 5 Preparedness Skills Every Woman Should Know, 7 Hacks for Homesteading Mamas, and 10 Ways to Find Simplicity on the Homestead. Uh, so just FYI, those, that last one is the one that we read, uh, I believe, Friday. Uh, but all of these links are going to be linked in, in her book as well on episode 83, so you can easily get to all of these. Uh, what would you like to say to the Prepper Website podcast listeners? I'd love for everyone to come follow us on our blog and encourage readers to sign up for our newsletter, Country Acres Homestead. And then where can people find you? Uh, people can find us on our website, Country Acres Homestead, and we are also Country Acre Homestead on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. All right, so thanks, Becca, for uh, your interview, and definitely going to go check out that uh, that book and the worksheets. Uh, I think I have come, you know, over my life, I have, sometimes you, you get stuff, and being an educator, you'll go to professional development, and they give you a worksheet, and you kind of look at it, and you know, like, okay, when I get back, when I, I know I'm saying this, like, when I get back to the office, I'm going to throw this one away, right? Because there, there's no meaning to it. It's not going to be helpful. All it is is just junk. I'm going to put it in a filing cabinet. I'm going to put it in a binder, and then, you know, 10, 20 years from now, I'm going to throw it away anyway. So, um I've gotten to the point where you know I really uh, look at those kinds of things, and if it's valuable, a lot of the time I scan it in and I keep it a, di a digital copy. Um, if it's not, I just throw it away and chunk it. But I have found some really good worksheets throughout, uh, you know, throughout my time, in even in preparedness. And so a good worksheet was very, very helpful to help you get to where you want to be and help you kind of see where you are and organize things. So I'm going to be curious to go check out her ebook and uh, see what it's like. Uh, again, I'm going to uh, link to her all her social media accounts and these articles and the ebook on episode 83. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to the last article. This comes to us from Common Sense Homesteading. Um, and the title is, and uh, Lori has, uh, actually Lori's come out with a new book here recently. At least I know that uh, on Facebook she was sending them out like crazy. 
Uh, but uh, this article is uh, it's an older one that she um, kind of updated. There are a lot of comments on this one. There's like 82 comments uh, that you can go check out. Uh, but uh, this is I think this is an important one because I mean I've infused or made tinctures myself. Uh, I mean I need to I need to talk about that one. There was this one that I, for cold and in in winter time that I you know hot echinacea tincture. Uh, I have linked to it before and, and maybe you can go to the uh, to the tag cloud and go look for it. But um, that's one that I that I make uh, and then uh, had some friends. Uh, you know, Nick over at the Herbal Survivalist who sent me uh, herbs and stuff when I haven't been feeling good. He's just he's just very kind and sent it over to me and um, been able to make you know just teas and stuff like that. But I really do think that we're going to get to a time um, where you know we're going to use this stuff more uh, uh, more readily. I mean, we're you know as as medical costs. Uh, continue to go up as as people aren't allowed you know able to to make it so easily to that and and then when you get to a situation where you know the poop hits the fan you definitely want to uh you know be able to have some kind of resource where you can do that's again that's why i like the dr bones and their samies uh you know the their uh, survival medicine handbook they have some of these recipes in here and Lori is going to have some recipes as well for teas and tinctures so uh, let's go ahead and get into this one looking for creative easy ways to use homegrown herbs or maybe you've tried some herb flavored oils or herbal vinegars and wondered about making your own in this post, we'll cover how to infuse herbs and oils, vinegars, alcohol, and honey with just a few simple steps. You can make your own delicious flavored cooking oils such as garlic, olive oil, quickly and inexpensively. Remember, always follow basic kitchen safety rules. Containers should be clean and dry. Glass is preferred for storage because it is non-reactive. If you have a concern about your herbal infusion interacting with your jar lid, for instance, with herbal vinegars place a layer of wax paper between the lid and the jar how to make an infused oil such as herb infused olive oil the best oils to use for herbal infusions are pure plant oils such as olive sunflower or almond oil the oil i use most is olive because it has a longer shelf life at room temperatures i wouldn't advise the use of canola corn oil or vegetable oil most of these will be made from genetically modified crops which i do not recommend for consumption read more here small batches are always best with infused oils so they can be used quickly before they have a chance to go rancid i don't recommend mineral oils even for topical use if i wouldn't eat it i try to avoid putting it on my skin you can use whatever proportions of herbs to oil you prefer, but if you feel you need a measurement, start with 1 ounce of dried herbs to 10 ounces of oil. Kirkland olive oil tested clean for contaminants and is reasonably priced. Solar herbal infusion. Solar herb infusion work best with olive oil, which is the most shelf-stable liquid oil. To make a solar-infused herbal olive oil, finely chop your clean, dry herb. Wash herbs only if really grimy and dry well, as excessive water can cause the infusion to spoil. Place the finely chopped herb in a lidded glass jar, such as a mason jar or condiment jar. This is a great use for old jars that can't be used for canning, but have wide mouths and good fitting lids. 
Label the jar, for instance, planting in olive oil and the date as above. You'd be surprised how some chopped plants start to look similar to each other over time. Place the jar in a sunny window or other warm location for two to three weeks. Stir daily, pushing all plant matter below the level of the oil. Wipe off any condensation from under the lid or above the oil. Exposed plant material or excess water is likely to lead to mold. Strain out the plant material and pour oil into a dark glass container. Label with contents and date. Store in a cool location out of direct light to maximize shelf life. I cover the jars with my husband's old mismatched socks. See Homegrown Medicinals. This is the method I was taught by my herbal mentor and is the method I use. Some people have expressed concern over botulism because of the low acidity it involved. Botulism toxins exposed to sunlight are inactivated within one to three hours. If you are still concerned about botulism, I recommend infusing over direct heat following the directions below. Direct Heat Herbal Oil Infusion To quickly infuse herbs and oil for medicinal use or flavored cooking oils, you can use direct heat infusion. For an oil infusion with fresh or dried herbs, place your herbs and oil and oil in a double boiler, tick bottom pot, or clean glass jar set in a pan of water. Simmer the herb and oil mixture on low for 4-6 to six hours for medicinal use. As long as needed for flavoring, 30 minutes may be enough for a lightly flavored oil. Strain, cool, bottle, and label with date and content. Store in a refrigerator. Most people who use this me- method will only infuse fresh herbs if they are going to be used the same day. For food items such as garlic or citrus peels, you should only use the direct heat infusion method and make the oil in small batches. Store in the refrigerator and use within two weeks to eliminate the risk of botulism. Cold will slow but not eliminate the development of botulism spores. Garlic and citrus are both naturally antibacterial as are many herbs and spices. So risks are minimal but we always want to err on the side of caution plus fresh oils taste better. Infused oils make a great base for homemade salves such as plantain salve, which I always keep on hand for bug bites, bee stings, and other minor skin irritations. Flavored oils such as chive or basil can be used as cooking oils and make lovely gifts. Note, if you want olive oil with herbs for dipping, just go ahead and mix your favorite herbs right in your oil and serve, or allow to sit for a few hours before serving to infuse the flavors more strongly. Discard any unused herbal herbal oil. How to infuse herbs in water. Water-based infusions are similar to making tea, except that an infusion steeps longer. Most teas steep for 3-5 to minutes to keep them from getting bitter. Herbal infusions or medicinal herbal teas should steep for a minimum of 10-15 to minutes. This will make them stronger and more bitter in many cases, but those bitter compounds are part of of the medicine. Experiment with different herbs and infusion times to see how it influences the flavor. Note, if you are under the care of a trained herbalist, follow their dosing and brewing instructions. You can use a muscling tea bag or stainless steel tea infuser. This infuser is easy to fill and clean to hold your herbs, but I generally prefer to leave my herbs loose and then strain after brewing. To make a water-based herbal infusion, place one tablespoon of dried herbs or three tablespoons of fresh herbs into a ceramic teapot, mug, or mason jar for each cup of tea you intend to brew. Cover herbs with boiling water. 
place on the lid or cover your cup with a saucer and let steep for 10 to 15 minutes or overnight. Strain and drink. I regularly make infusions of oat straw and nettles for general health and wellness. Mint is great for soothing sore tummies. You can read about herbs and spices that boost your immune system here. How to infuse herbs in vinegar or alcohol. When you infuse herbs in alcohol or vinegar, it is commonly referred to as a tincture when used medicinally. But you can make some very tasty flavored vinegars and drink mixers too. Which alcohol to use? For alcohol-based infusions, I watch for cells on vodka and prefer those in glass jars over plastic. I figure if the alcohol can draw compounds out of the herbs, it may attack the plastic too. If you want to make baking extracts, vodka has the most neutral flavor, but other alcohols such as rum or brandy pairs well with vanilla and some other flavors. See how to make homemade extracts, vanilla, lemon, and almond, and easy chocolate mint extract recipe for more information. Which vinegar to use? Raw apple cider vinegar is a staple in my kitchen. This is our favorite brand of ACV. So I use that for most vinegar infusions. If you want to switch things up, you can use different types of vinegars. White wine vinegar turns hot pink when infused with chive blossoms. Photo at the top of post is chive blossom and apple cider vinegar. White photo is chive blossom with white wine vinegar. I don't typically, typically use white vinegar for cooking, but it will work if that's your preferred vinegar. I do sometimes pack a jar with citrus peels and white vinegar to make a natural citrus cleaner. Herbal vinegar is ready in about two weeks and is best stored in a bottle with a cork or other non-metallic lid. I often save my vinegar bottle and put the vinegar back in once it's done infusing. To make a basic alcohol or vinegar tincture, adapted from Holistic Herbal, place 4 ounces by weight of dried, chopped, or ground herb, twice as much for fresh, into a glass jar with lid that can be tightly closed. Pour one pint of 30% 60 proof vodka on the herbs. Close the container tightly. Label the contents and date. Keep the container in a warm place for two to six weeks and shake it well twice every day. This one shouldn't go in direct sun, but on the kitchen counter is fine. Strain out the plant material. It makes great compost. Don't be afraid to squeeze it dry. You can let it settle before bottling or strain through a coffee filter if a clearer product is desired. Pour the tincture into a dark bottle or store out of direct light. Don't forget to label it with the contents and date. Pretty bottles of foodstuffs look lovely on display, but light speeds the breakdown of many compounds in the food or medicine. When you're trying to break down plant material to transfer its compounds into oil, this makes sense, but not for long-term storage. Susan Weed's tincture making method recommends filling the jar with fresh herbs, filling it with 100 proof vodka, making sure all the herbs are well covered, sealing, labeling, and letting it stand for six weeks before straining. Sometimes she doesn't even strain, just dips some out of the bottle and leaves the plant material in. She says she keeps some this way for years with no loss of potency. I regularly use this method because it's quick and easy. Is it better to infuse fresh herbs or dry herbs? Susan Weed prefers fresh herbs. Some sites recommend only dry herbs. Some recommend infusing in warmth and light. Others recommend cool and dark. I think it's a matter of working with what you have. I do oils in the sun, tinctures out of direct light, and I typically use fresh herbs for both. With water infusions, I often use dry herbs. And so there is a, uh, a recipe here for dandelion aper aperitif.
and this is adapted by Healing Wise. It's two-thirds cups fresh dandelion blossom, two-third cups sugar, rind of half a lemon, and one quart vodka. Do not wash flowers. Cut off green mix. Uh, cut off green. Mix all ingredients together into jar cap. Shake daily. Wait two weeks. Then strain and enjoy with ice and lemon, or hot with water and honey, or by itself before or after meals. This recipe can be made with an edible with any edible flower or herb. See top ten edible flowers plus over sixty more flowers you can eat for a list of edible flowers. How to infuse herbs in honey. You can also infuse herbs in honey. I made some vanilla honey for Christmas gifts last year. So yummy. The flavor takes a little longer to permeate the honey, so I'd recommend a minimum of a month on this one. Although if you are using strongly flavored herbs, two weeks may be enough. For vanilla honey, add one or two chopped vanilla beans per cup jar, depending on the size of the bean and where whether they've been previously used. I used beans that had previously been used to make ice cream and let them steep for three months. Rose petal, mint, and anise, chamomile, and lavender are other popular choices for flavoring honey. One to two tablespoons of herbs per cup of honey should be plenty. Mild honey, such as clover honey, works best for flavoring. All right. Um, so a lot of information there about making tinctures and um, oils and stuff like that. I'll tell you that um, before I really had, you know, read articles and stuff like that, I made one, uh, you know, with some olive oil and I threw some peppers in there from the garden. And oh my gosh, uh, that oil was so hot. And... Um, I just, I, you don't realize how much, you know, uh, I mean, how much the oil is, is infusing. I mean, you, you, you're looking at it, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. It looks like oil, whatever. But man, it will kick your butt. So it, it worked. So I had put uh, some garlic cloves in there and some peppers. And uh, man, it, it, it really worked. So, um, you know, so you can make your, your uh, you know, whatever kind of oils you want, infused oils. But I do like, you know, like when I made that first, I talked a little bit about that hot echinacea tincture. When I made that the first time, I made such a big batch. I don't know what I was thinking, uh, but it was such a big batch. I've learned my lesson that uh, you can't, you know, I was giving it away to people and I don't know if they were using it or not. Um, you know, I usually made like a, a chamomile tea and then would uh, throw that, that tincture in there with, uh, you know, a whole uh, dropper full. But uh, a lot of good stuff uh, there. And maybe I'll throw that uh, hot echinacea tincture up sometime. Hey, there is uh, a video at the very end. Someone asked a question about uh, how are essential oils. Like, you know, I wish I could make essential oils. And uh, Lori left a video on how lavender essential oil is made. And so if you're interested in that, I think it's like a five to seven minute video. Uh, you know, kind of interesting, but it's a big process. I mean, it's not something that you're going to be doing at home, but you can go check that out and, uh, you know, get all your information or, or get, you know, some more information about how essential oils are made. And uh, if you want to have or uh, get some essential oils, it's just <laughs> so much easier and cheaper to go ahead and buy them. All right, so uh, that's it for episode 83 of the Prepper Website podcast. 
um, good information. Hey, thanks for uh, listening. If you get a chance, come by the website, share us out, or drop me a line in the comments, or come by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and uh, connect with me that way. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.